0: loudspeaker studios.
1: The show where me and a special guest try to save the world from total nuclear annihilation by watching a trauma movie and then pairing it with a non-trauma title for a fantasy double feature. But first, let me introduce my guest. He is a filmmaker, having directed several short films, occupied can with the Troma team, and worked on Troma's Return to Nukem High series, hashtag Shakespeare's Shitstorm, produced the Troma film Rednecks, and has numerous appearances in several Troma videos. I'd like to introduce to you, Bjarni. Thanks for coming on the
2: show, man. Thank you, Zach. And welcome to Tromaville, listeners, all, all our taxerinos, our taxis <laughs> yeah. and taxettes. So
1: you are from iceland i want to know how a young young man from iceland got into trauma movies uh with great difficulties
2: now uh actually they're very rare in iceland the trauma movies but i thankfully uh grew up in sweden for a huge chunk of my life and because of that i was introduced very early on uh to toxic crusaders thanks to none other than ted turner who owned a um a Cartoon Network, not, not the Cartoon Network, but there was another channel called the Children's Channel, which was in Europe and uh, they showed the Toxic Crusaders. And I was a big Ninja Turtles fan. And of course, I didn't know at the time that it was animated by Fred Wolf Animation, the same studio and and uh, but I watched the show and I loved it. Uh, I was a big fan of all mutants, you know, green stuff. Uh, And I loved the comedy of the show. And of course they had the action figures. So every time I went to Toys R Us, I picked up everything they had and I had Dr. Killamoff and Toxie and Junkyard. And it was, I moved to Iceland. And then when I was 10 years old, we had a couple of these video stores that had like all the the rare cult movies. And I was just looking through it and I saw a Toxic Avenger movie. I was like, yeah, I remember watching this as a kid. And then I saw it at uh, an 18 rating. And I was like, whoa, what is this? Like they made a movie version of the Toxic Crusaders? And I, I was able to convince my mom, like, I need to rent this. And she, of course, knew Taxi from my childhood. She was like, oh, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the old bait and switch. <laughs> yes. So I, I loved it. I watched it. Of course, it was the, uh, not the unrated version, which I saw a couple of years later. But then I, I would do like a, a pilgrimage. I would go and I would look for movies that had the trauma team logo. And of course, Iceland was not, did not have a North American distribution deal. So we would get the movie straight from the UK. So it was the Virgin versions and they, the, the video rental source in Iceland, they had not many, they had the Toxic Avenger one, two, and three. They had Cannibal the musical and they had, um, Chopper chicks in zombie town and surf Nazis must die and monster in the closet. And that was it. Nice. So I, I watched those. And then when I was around 13, I was able to convince my mom like, Hey, for my birthday present, can you order something of Amazon? And I got Citizen Toxie and Terra Firma. <laughs> and after that, you know, I, I was hooked. I decided, like, ah, I'm going to make it a, a, you know, my mission. I was to get every single one of these movies. That's awesome.
1: And I remember you um, from the back in the trauma message board days. Liam, who was on the last episode, he also posted on there. You did too. I remember you were the youngest person. Posting yes. on the on the message boards back then, but you you knew your shit even back then when it came to <laughs> Tromaville.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've I, I've been called some some people have referred to me almost as a, a human Wikipedia, and you know I, I just think it's a, a little bit of autism, if anything, because I don't I'm not a smart guy, but I obsess over certain things. I, I, <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's mean to call it autism because I don't think I've actually been diagnosed, but. No, no disrespect to people. You might cut this out. I don't know. You decide.
3: <laughs> it's staying I don't, I don't in.
1: <laughs> but We're the thing all part is, of the Tromaville school for the very special. <laughs> exactly.
2: So the moment, if I get obsessed with anything, you know, I'll just read everything I can about it on, online and I'll try to see everything. And of course at the time, early 2000, the internet was a very, you know, uh, small place really. So, like I was a big Ninja Turtles fan and they had a website called ninjaturtles.com and I would just go to that website and read every single page because it wasn't a lot. So, so every time you would find new information, you'd be like, oh, no, I got what What's going on? What am I reading? So exactly, uh, trauma.com, traumavilt.com were amazing websites. And of course, the forums, you know, it was the place to go if you were a trauma fan because they would have updates. They would have news. You were able to talk to members of the trauma team, even though some of them were, you know, using pseudonyms.
3: And we we could always
2: figure out who they were. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was a great time, and uh, I I loved learning more. And of course, I you know I I had already some knowledge, and I loved spreading it around, like you know I do with my STDs. <laughs> so it, it was fun. That's part of the reason I started this podcast. I was like, I
1: don't have any actual you know marketable skills. I know a lot about trauma. Maybe I should just talk to trauma about trauma movies with people because I, so somebody else has to hear hear what's stuck in my brain all day. Exactly. So when did so then you ended up actually working
2: started working for trauma? When did when did that start? Uh, when I was fifteen, I did my first feature length movie called Night of the Living Dead, with a K. It's about a knight and a Viking who rise up from the dead and they fight, and it's a really bad movie, but. It was my love letter to Troma. And uh, I was very much inspired by uh, you guys, you and Richard Taylor, because I, I was a big fan of your short movies as well. So it was, you know, it wasn't just Troma, it was also sort of, you know, what I perceived low budget filmmaking to be. You know, it was very much in the spirit of Chris Seaver, you know, and the and all those sort of movies that were also inspired by Troma. It was like, this is what we're supposed to do, right? Yeah. So the entire movie is just like, uh, really crass jokes and uh, a lot of blood squirting and i just decided like i'm just going to give this movie to trauma because i've heard so many stories like from the rabbit grannies like the way lloyd tells the rabbit grannies story which you you and richard cover is like (laughs) oh yeah we just you know these guys like we're going to give you this movie we're like oh that's cool here's some money so i was under the impression like oh yeah you can just do that and of course the 80s and 2000s is a totally different time for trauma yeah (laughs) but I, i i I tried to give them, I tried to give them my movie and they were like, the guy who answered was very nice. And he said like, well, we're 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 looking for something a little bit better, looking (laughs) for a little bit higher production values at this time. It's like, oh, that's fine. But Lloyd came to Iceland for a film festival and we got him to play my abusive dad who's trying to molest me, which I thought was nice. And this was right before he did Poltergeist. And of course I was 15 at the time. So there was no way I could go out and film with them. But I decided like, I made a promise to myself, like, well, in the next movie Lloyd directs, I will go out and I will be a part of that.
1: I always wondered about that because there was some people I was, ex- I was just like hoping to see on set and you were one of them. Um, yeah. And I was, so I was just like, oh man, I thought, thought I was gonna meet you on Vulture Geist. <laughs>
2: that, w- that would have been great. Cause another thing good about the forms is that we were, you know, uh, they showed us a lot of the pre-production. Like we were able to hear the songs uh, and see a lot of the stuff being made before you know the movie went into production. So, so I felt like I was almost on set with you guys because we would get updates. You would tell us what was going on, and we would sort of hear stories. And and I was I was uh, at the time I was shooting my own movie, so I, you know, I don't re- I, and I, I doubt my parents would have me to leave for a whole summer at 16. <laughs> but thankfully, the next time they made a movie. Uh, Lloyd was directing was in 2012 and at that I was a young man instead of a large boy so uh, I sent an email that, and they they knew about me uh, the guy who was answering like uh, like I forgot exactly how it was because I think the guy that actually hired me had no idea that I I'd sort of had a history with trauma so in my mind I was like well of course I'm going to get a job because it's me and they know who I am yeah. <laughs> which is a dumb, <laughs> dumb ego thing to have but I, learned, learned, I think it was Alex Gordon actually who hired me, and he had no idea who I was. And he, I think we talked about that. I was like, yeah, I'm the guy who hired you. It's like, oh, really? I just assumed it was Lloyd.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what did you uh, do on Return to Newcombe High? I know you play, uh, play a student who, who is very itchy all the time. The, like, yeah. if you ever see, watch Return to Newcombe High movies, uh, the, the boy who is itching himself all the time, that's you. <laughs>
2: yes. But what did you do behind the scenes? I was I w- actually I I filmed a lot of the behind the scenes for Two Girls One Duck. Uh, I was one of the main sort of camera guys on that, uh, but I also I was a main production assistant, which is a nice way of saying that uh, I I was able to clean well, I guess, wash, wash the <laughs> blood, and I you know I actually ew, I, I wish I had done a better job because some of the places that were a little bit stained afterwards. But I tried my best and, you know, they apparently liked it enough. <laughs> they liked it enough
1: to bring it back for hashtag Shakespeare's shitstorm, which exactly. I haven't watched yet, but I, from seeing the trailer, um, it looks like you have a a lot bigger role in uh, in that movie.
2: Yeah, I mean, Shakespeare's shitstorm is great. One thing about uh, the scratching guy before I talk about my role yeah. in shitstorm, it was really interesting because uh, I I was not supposed to be in the movie. Uh it was after we filmed the Niagara Falls, they were just doing random shots. And Lloyd asked me like, oh, we're gonna do a shot of you scratching and you're gonna say my anal warts. Like, oh, my anal warts, they're spreading. And then he just, after that, he would always put me in the background. And there was one scene, they had like 20 people in a shot. And and they would do everything and he would go yell cut and he would just walk up to me and go like, you're not scratching enough. Like you need to be like really scratching. And I was I had this giant sunburn. So it really hurt scratching, <laughs> but I did it. I, I, I gave it as much passion as I could. And the funny thing is that I recently, well not recently, but after I did that, I watched the first Turn On, which was filmed in 1981. And there was one background character who keeps scratching and he does a very bad job at it. He's like, you know, he's, like, he's barely scratching. So I, I realized like this is something Lloyd has wanted an extra or an actor person to do for like 30 years. <laughs> but, but no one had the passion until I showed up and gave him gave him what he wanted
1: he was finally able to close that chapter
3: of
2: of that story it. he always had in his head <laughs> that's awesome so uh then I ended up getting the role of the captain in shakespeare's shitstorm and I, I wish it would be like oh yeah he scratched so well that I need to give him a bigger role I wish it was that but what happened was that they the first day of filming was actually in Albania. So they filmed in Albania and then they took like a month off and then they filmed the rest of the movie in the summer. So we were filming in Albania in March, I believe, or April. And uh, I got a nice email from the producer, Justin Martel, who's uh, a great guy and one of the best producers I've ever worked with. And he's also wrote a great book about Tiny Tim. Plug, plug, plug. You should I, want you to I do that want out. to read that. I love Tiny Tim. So. Oh, you <laughs> should definitely. It's the best book on Tiny Tim. I haven't read any other books on Tiny Tim, but it, it is the best book. <laughs> but So Justin uh, Martel contacted me and he contacted uh, Liam and Mark and a couple of like the um, Euro trauma guys, Corrado uh, from Italy. And he said, we're filming in Albania and we have an Albanian crew, but we want sort of, uh, you know, people we worked with, you know, who want to come over and help us out sort of be like the trauma team in Albania. And, uh, so he asked all the Europe Eurocentric, uh, guys, cause it would of course be cheaper to, for us to fly to Albania. So I looked into it I was like, actually, it's not that cheap for me, but I'll do it if I get a role. And they said like, well, there's, yeah, we need someone to play the captain. And so he sort of, uh, got me that role. And of course, when I showed up, Lloyd, uh, well, actually, if you ask Lloyd, he is the one who just hired me. But as I understand it, it was actually Martell. But when we show up there, Lloyd was very, it's me and Mark Finch. I don't know if you know him. I call him Hollywood Mark. He's a, a British guy who plays with me. Uh, and what happened was that he let us write like two, three pages of dialogue. So he just like, he let us rewrite the entire scene where we just ad-libbed and added a bunch of stuff. And some of that's actually still in the movie for some reason. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so we had like, we, 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 we created these characters because this, this captain wasn't really a, a character or anything. He was just like a guy in, in charge of the ship. It was like, oh, since we're doing this and why not just spice it up? So we sort of played like me and the boatswain played by Mark Finch, who's sort of like these bitter lovers almost. Like, you know, we're sort of angry yeah. with each other, but we're also sort of obviously, you know, uh, making love behind the scenes or whatever. <laughs> and um, and I had a line of dialogue that I used to be in Iraq. Uh, you know, I've seen worse shitstorms than this. I was in Iraq and they kept that in the movie. And then, I, and then I die, I get a swordfish through the eye, which was created by Eric Fox, who worked on Sharknado. And uh, when we did that scene, I yelled out, it's Iraq all over again, and that's in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I love that, and I loved, you know, I, I've I've done a couple of movies. I think this might have been my biggest role outside of like, you know, short movies and my own. So I'm really proud of it. And I I kept hearing from I didn't go to the test screenings, but I kept hearing from people like, oh, people really like the the captain and the the boat They really like those characters.
1: That's awesome. So, I I can't so, wait to see it. I'm eagerly awaiting when I can go see it with a group of people. I haven't bought any of those online tickets yet. It just doesn't feel right. I, I gotta see no, it with the yeah.
2: crowd. No, it has to be a crowd, exactly. Because I see, went to see a, a Fantasia. I went to some of the film festivals for Return to Newcomb High, and that's the, that. I can't imagine seeing those movies any other way.
1: Yeah, um, you you are have a pretty unique distinction of having worked on a trauma movie shot in another country with Lloyd. Like that, that hasn't happened very often. What's the difference? Is there a difference um, when shooting a trauma movie stateside as opposed to on a boat in Albania (laughs) with Lloyd, or is or is it pretty much the same thing but with translators?
2: I would say there's a a a distinct difference. The difference being that Lloyd is more because you know we're filming on a boat, we're filming in another country, so he's more sort of uh, he's of course the director, he's the figurehead, but he's sort of you know, allows, you know, the the production team more leeway. It's like, oh, wait, this is your, like, what are we doing? How are we doing it? You know, and it's the first time he's filmed on a boat since The Final Countdown uh, with Martin Sheen, which was in 1980. And this is the first time he's filmed, he's directed a trauma movie in another country since Toxic Immigrant Part 2. Yeah. Technically, technically Part 3, because they have one shot in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so he was he was uh, I would say like you know of course, people have this image of him being like very hectic and angry, and I would say he was very calm on uh, uh, the both movies I worked on, of course, you know he 's a little bit older now, uh, but he was definitely uh, like he was he was more willing to like let people do their thing, not that he 's like i mean obviously he 's always like very open to people doing their own thing as well in
1: but when you don't get time. the
2: asshole time, Lloyd, as much. No, exactly. <laughs> it's like, because you can't really, like, he, how can you be sure if it's asshole time or not? Maybe we do have to wait until blah, 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 you know? So yeah. It's like he's more open to like, well, you know, if they say we have to do it like this, I guess we have to. But when he's stateside, he knows when people are pretending to work. <laughs> <laughs> and he will call you out on it. I, I, was, I was always wondering about that. It,
1: just having seen Lloyd in so many different, Scenarios and you could it's almost like a like a kid when he knows like like mom and dad are around Yeah, he, you could tell he's being on his best behavior and it's like I wonder if he's like that when he's shooting overseas But that's kind of funny <laughs> That seems to be the case On there. It does.
2: Yeah, because uh, what I've heard from of course toxic adventure, too He was of course, you know very sort of you have to be open to the culture and be respectful and so he definitely was, you know, very respectful to the Albanian culture and, and, uh, you know. Well, that's something I don't think a lot of people realize when you
1: watch a trauma movie, how much of like, just like a citizen of the world, Lloyd is like, he speaks like fluent French and, and just bits and pieces of like tons of other languages. And he like, he knows his shit when he's in, like in other like cultures and, it, it always blows my mind just seeing like that
2: side of him. Yes. He speaks fluent uh, Mandarin as well. And uh, a Finnish friend of mine, a guy I met during the Finnish film festival when they were showing Return to Nukem High Volume 1, he actually was in New York when we were filming Shakespeare's Shitstorm. And this is years afterwards. And he was like an extra in one of the scenes. And when Lloyd met him, not only did he remember him, he also remembered where he met him. And he kept saying thank you in, in Finnish, kitos. Like, he, like every time he tells them, he's like, oh, kitos, kitos. So he's like yeah, like I said, like, he knows at least one word in every language and, and he'll use them.
1: Yeah, for sure. And so not only have you worked on some of Lloyd's movies, but you also uh, produced the movie Rednecks with John Birmingham. And you, yeah. I know you have a special thanks in Crazy Animal. Why don't you talk a little bit about, about that as well?
2: uh John Birmingham is a a great a tour I think a crazy animal is an amazing movie which uh he made with Troma and I was uh a post production advisor on that and he sort of sent me the movie and it's like is going to release this I'm not sure if it's finished can you watch it and give me some advice and it was me and uh, Jimmy Jimu Adamson who you might also remember from the Troma forum yes uh he asked both of us to be post-production advisors and we watched it. We gave him some notes and then he answered, you know what? I think I'm fine with the way it is. He was like, all right. <laughs> well, it's funny. Cause I think before you saw
1: it, uh, crazy animal um, had a secret screening at Troma dance. One of the years I was yes. there. So we all watched it at the the Troma house. And uh, I, I think he, he called He like called up the house, like, hey, I had the house number and was asking for notes as well, like as the movie was playing in the background. (laughs) So it's kind of fun.
2: And what'd you think of it?
1: I thought it was pretty funny. Um, I'm trying to remember because it was also a night of hard drinking in Salt Lake City, Utah, or Park (laughs) City, Utah in the the bitter cold. But it it was like a fun party movie. So it's actually oh yeah, sure. that that'll definitely be one that gets talked about at some point on the show for for sure maybe even bring John on to talk about
2: his movies but um
3: you I did think, have
2: yeah, it's a really nice rape, rape revenge fantasy thing sort of right perfect to have
1: Ron Jeremy in a rape revenge movie <laughs>
2: and and what's good too is that Ron Jeremy plays like the super wholesome Christian father figure just like he is in real life <laughs> <laughs> well it's sort of like what he is in citizen toxic i always love that when you take the sort of quote-unquote degenerate people and have them play like the super wholesome <laughs>
1: and then uh he's he's god in um is he god in Newcom high return
2: to newcomb high yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so i i i knew uh john birmingham since uh crazy animal and i, I do think he might have been on the trauma forums but i don't uh, know exactly how i got to know him i, I think it was through MySpace, but I guess he could have also had an account. I don't know. He barely posted if he did. I, I don't remember if he was. I mean, maybe he was after Crazy Animal went yeah. to Troma Dance, but I don't really remember. Um, he definitely wasn't active if he was on there. But yeah, it might have been like two three posts, like, hey, my movie's out, something like that.
1: Yeah, he wasn't one of the dirty dozen, that's for sure. No. <laughs> um, so I,
2: I told him, I love Crazy Animal, and I told him if you ever do another movie, like, hit me up, I'll audition for it just through whatever and I'll fly out. And he uh, did another movie in 2007. He filmed a movie called The Vampires of Stanzibar, which he told me was going to be a trauma movie. So I flew out thinking I was going to help him make a trauma movie. And eventually it just didn't get picked up by anyone. Uh, I've heard different stories of why. Uh, so I don't, I don't know exactly the truth on that but I thought that was a really fun movie. And, uh, the problem I think was that the script was, it was an R rated movie with a lot of nude, uh, a lot of nudity and a lot of gore. And then, uh, because he had gotten financing, uh, and of course, this is allegedly, I don't know how true this is, but uh, one of the people that financed the movie wanted it to be PG 13. Yeah. So a lot of the nudity was cut out and a lot of the gore was cut out. And I still think it's an entertaining and fun movie, personally. But I think he did not think that Troma wanted it anymore because he had removed that. So I think he sort of decided in his head that Troma would not pick it up unless he would add nudity. And he was sort of done with the movie and didn't want to film extra scenes. But I I always told him, like, just send it to Troma. They'll probably release it. (laughs) (laughs) You never know.
1: But then you did work on um, his next movie, Rednecks.
2: And I helped produce that, and that was a trauma production through and through, and, uh, uh, and, it's, and it looks really good, especially on Blu-ray. It was shot on, like, the red camera, and uh, there's a lot of uh, funny scenes. Like, he actually got, like, an animator from India to animate, like, an American eagle who uh, <laughs> flies around, and he, like, shits on the, on the main redneck people, and he, like, you know, it looks really good. He jumps, drops, like, uh, some white sludge on him.
1: That's awesome.
2: Well, um, let's get into
1: the movie for this episode. Skeleton Coast.
0: will happen next. Agent Smith finds out why hell is called Skeleton Coast. One man will dare his rescue. William Smith, Colonel of the United States Marine Corps, retired. In the underground world of intrigue and betrayal, you soon find out who is your friend or your enemy. Colonel Smith puts together an army of seven mercenaries. Rip the Vietnam Vet, a street fighter from Harlem, beautiful and deadly Sam, a Japanese Yakuza, a dishonored British officer, a born-again killer, a Portuguese assassin. Together, they will attempt the impossible.
1: So that was the trailer for 1988 Skeleton Coast, directed by John Bud Cardos. So, yeah, you. Uh, when I was asking what movie you wanted to talk about, uh, you picked you. You sent me a list, and one of them was Skeleton Coast, and I thought that was a pretty pretty interesting choice. Um, that not probably most people won't even think of when they're thinking about trauma movies. What made you want to do this title? Uh,
2: Skeleton Coast is one of those movies that uh, as, as we talked about before the show started and we can go a little bit into it now is what well, I, I started collecting trauma DVDs more so than the VHS. And there was a time when, you know, they, were, you had the, the, the gray spines, the 97, like the, the, the first yeah. sort of releases. And what's really good about the early trauma releases is they're chock full of goodies. They have so much special features. Like if you look at terra firma says in you have two disc, you know, editions. Yes. And everyone has, and you have, have all these audio commentaries. You have a director's cut of the movie, you have uh, interviews with cast and crew, and there's something they did on even movies that that weren't produced in house. You know, a lot of the a lot of the early sort of DVD releases were like that. But then in two thousand five, two thousand six, the VHS movement was dead, and someone somewhere, I guess it was Kevin Michaels or like the guy who was in charge of the Trauma Team DVDs, decided like, well, now we should release everything we have on DVD. And we got a lot of good movies because of that, uh, such as, uh, the Dustin Hoffman film and the, uh, what's it called again, Mad against millions yes. and all those movies. But as we discussed, uh, because they were released like en masse, there was very little work put into them. So you had, uh, the only special features you would have would always be like the cannibal lesbian hoedown. <laughs> You, Camo, have, lesbian, ho down. Ho down. you would have the uh, Poltergeist trailer, and you would have an introduction by Lloyd and Debbie that was not filmed for this particular DVD. And show. the
1: Radiation March.
2: <laughs> and the Radiation March. So that was always it. And, uh, and of course, I was still buying, uh, at the time, I was still like, I'm going to buy every single Choma movie. So they were releasing a lot of them. And Skeleton Coast, when that came out, I was like, whoa, whoa, hold the phone. Ernest Borgman is one of my all-time favorite actors, so when I saw he was in a trauma movie, even though it wasn't technically a trauma production, I was like, "Well, I gotta watch this and see this." Yeah, and I fell in love with it. I think it's a really entertaining, well-made '80s action movie. And of course, there are there are better movies out there, but I was thoroughly entertained throughout the entire thing. And it became one of those movies that I would force my friends to watch. It was like I would show them *Surf Nazis*. I would show them *Monster in the Closet*. All the classic ones. Yeah. <laughs> and of course at, at the end i was like well because my friends also loved ernest borgnine and robert vaughn who are also in basketball
1: it, and we- that, i know we're going to get into double features but that would be a pretty funny double feature you know just assuming that a spoiler which we'll get in spoilers later but assuming robert vaughn doesn't die in this movie to think of
2: basketball as a sequel <laughs> and it's, it's funny too because it's 10 years apart so it's like they do skeleton coast and then they do 10 years of other stuff and then they return and i always thought to myself like, did they did they talk about doing skeleton coast did they even remember doing it
1: i don't know how they couldn't have remembered because this movie is shot in nambia in the fucking desert it looked hot
2: and miserable to film 90 percent shot- of this movie it's shot in the legitimate actual skeleton coast. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, they were able to do it because I assume that it's a, you know, you could get a lot for your production. So the movie didn't probably have to cost a lot to get all those. Cause it's filled with explosives and filled with, it's, it has a lot of good production value. You have, you have yeah. the army trucks and all those guns. And of course you, you have the, uh, you have three or four like Hollywood, legends in the movie. Yeah, you three. You got you got Ernest Borgnine, Robert
1: Vaughn, and Oliver Reed. Like, yeah. so all they, in. <laughs>
2: they, did, they sort of did the same thing they did in, with Star Wars, you know, because Star Wars was also a very cheap production. And you think to yourself, we don't have a lot of money, but we can shoot cheaply in Africa, and we'll get, like, two or three, like, big-name guys. And, and in that case, they got Peter Cushing and, and Alec Guinness. The only difference is that Star Wars is uh, has a little bit more going for it, a little I, bit.
1: but I don't own a copy of Star Wars that has the Radiation March on the DVD. No, exactly so. (laughs) Well, it's kind of of funny how you were talking about um, there's like no special features really on this DVD. And as far as the movie Skeleton Ghost goes, the internet is basically wiped clean of like any information on this movie, which is weird (laughs) thinking it's like, 88 action movie, Ernest Borgnine, you know, Robert Vaughn, Oliver Reed, like, ha- filmed in the Skeleton Coast. It's kind of boggling that there's just, like, not even, like, a weird interview from anybody, like, that side mentions yeah. this
3: movie.
2: There should be – it probably does exist somewhere. It might go online years from now. Like, there must be someone interviewed them while they were in Africa because – or maybe – I I'm under the impression that Ernest Borgnine maybe lived in Africa for a while because he also, in 89, he did a movie called Laser Mission, starring Brandon Lee, which was the first uh, American, American production of, uh, featuring Brandon Lee. He had done one movie before that in Hong Kong called Legacy of Rage. And then Laser Mission, that's all shot in Africa as well. And Ernest Borgnine in that plays a Nazi scientist who has invented uh, the laser. And he's sort of in hiding because he's a Nazi scientist. And, but he's still a good guy in the movie.
3: <laughs> yeah. He has like a German
2: accent. So Brandon Lee shows up and saves him. So I was under the impression, either he shot that movie at the same time and it took like two years to get released, or he just was staying in Africa for a while. Because I can't imagine you going to Africa filming a movie going back to LA and like, I guess I'm going back to Africa. I think that's really
1: weird. Although it's such a weird time in like low budget, like Hollywood history where I could yeah. totally picture like them being like, well, the work is in Africa. They're shooting another Rambo sequel over there. So we might as well go back and and film this. Um, yes. Yeah, the, the little bit of information I did find out about this movie. So um, first off, uh, the director, John Bud Cardos, Um, He was like the 1960s era Hollywood stuntman, how he started his career. Basically like when you watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like that was the director of this movie. So he had an eye for action sequences. Um, And you can really tell in the movie. Yeah. Like the action scenes in this are crazy that it's a low budget movie. There's so many explosions in there and people on fire. It's nuts um but he worked on um, some al advinson movies including satan yeah. sadist which Troma put out so i always like to throw that out there one of the producers gerald milton produced a trauma movie twisted justice so yeah. i thought that was pretty cool um and then uh cl- apparently klaus kinski christopher lee and donald pleasance were all considered for
2: this movie uh, I so obviously had had the idea like we're going to get we have three old people in the script and they're going to be played by some Hollywood quote-unquote like you know legends you know these guys yeah. that still need work because they're old so they, they will say yes even though the money's not that much but they still have that star status you know yeah start... <laughs> and then the last thing I could find about
1: this movie was so there like there's a gang in the movie well when we Go more into the plot and everything. One of the gang members of Ernest Borgnine's crew, uh, Tulio Montea, he was like second in command of a coup in 1981, where they hijacked a plane and flew it to South Africa. In in a movie or real life? In real life. Damn, <laughs> so, I had no idea. <laughs> so yeah, the 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 actual like facts about this movie are like. Like, the director was a stuntman, and one of the actors, you know, failed a coup in 1981 (laughs) and flew to South Africa in a hijacked airplane. So he just lived in South Africa since and starred in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, well, which is funny because I was like, wait a minute. In 81, so that means the coup already failed. Whatever jail time or not jail time would have happened, and he's like, I guess I'm going to go be
2: in this Ernest borden movie.
1: (laughs) So,
2: so, yeah, like you said, there's very little on it online and I, what, as I understand it, and of course, this is just me sort of trying to find patterns and understand how this happened is that uh, this movie was produced by Silver Tree Pictures, which is I uh, I don't know if they've done anything else. I have it open here. I can look at it. And yeah, they did literally one other movie called Not Another Mistake, starring Richard Norton. And uh, I'm pretty sure they might have just filmed that in Africa as well. But so yeah, it was this very small production company that literally did two movies around the same time. And John Bud Cardos uh, probably knew trauma because when did they pick up the Al Adamson movies? Because I know Al Adamson, of course, had a uh, had uh, had his own production and distribution company for a long time in the 60s and 70s.
1: So for a uh, while, those Al Adamson movies, they were, um... There was Dracula versus Frankenstein, Satan Sadists, uh, Angels Wild Women, a couple others. Yeah. Those were probably put out on DVD, I wanna say like in like 2002 to 2004, like right in that stretch. But did Troma
2: already have the distribution rights before they released the DVDs?
1: I think, I don't, that I'm not sure of. I because I feel like I, they bought the rights for our license some, rights for a bit,
2: they they yeah they, I think they owned their rights for some time and then who somebody they you know the 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 time lapse was over and whoever uh, the Al Adamson's partner in crime who I don't remember the name of right now because Al Adamson of course died in the early '80s, uh, but the guy who was his co-producer like produced all the movies with him he did a deal with Trauma, I don't know when but I always assumed it was. Uh, very early on uh, because I always assumed that John Bard Cardos knew Troma because of the Al Adamson thing. So he thought like, oh, I can I can sell this to Troma because as I understand it, uh, they released it. I've, I've heard it was shown somewhere in 87. I actually can't find any information on that anymore. But uh, Orion did a home video release in 89. But Troma is also listed as being uh, doing a home video release. So what could have happened is that he knew Troma maybe through the Al Adamson producer, either because they were talking about picking up Satan Sadist or re-releasing it or something. And because of that, he went with it to Troma. And of course, Troma at the time, they did not have a Troma team video that started in 95. Yeah. So what Troma did was they would buy the distribution rights and then they would find a distributor for you. So like with Toxic Avenger* 2 was released on VHS by Warner Brothers. And so then a bunch I, like happened, under the media label, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So what I assume could have happened is that, because uh, Troma's listed on IMDb as uh, getting the rights in 88, and of course this could be false, because they didn't do anything with the movie then after that until 2005 when they released it on DVD. So what could have happened is that they either, either Orion originally bought the distribution rights and when Orion went under they gave it to Troma and of course that does make sense because then the producer had already worked with Troma doing Twisted Justice. Yes. So it could so it's either 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 the, st- the timeline is either he did Skeleton Coast and gave it to Troma because it worked out so well he decided to do another move with Troma or he did a move with Troma and when nobody no longer owned the rights to Skeleton Coast he was like well let's give it to Troma so they can at least release it.
1: And and well let's hop into skeleton co so this movie right looks like the ver- the version that trauma has came from a weird beta pan and scan that somebody yeah. probably had sitting in the bottom of their closet <laughs> yes but i think it's the only way to actually even watch this movie um is through the trauma version at first i couldn't tell if it was shot on film or on video and then as it slowly went on, I was like, this is pan and scan. That's why yeah. it looks a little funky. But so uh, to
2: me, it looks definitely like it was shot on film. And yeah. And then of course, as Troma did with a lot of those 2005 DVD releases, they just went into the Troma basement. They found a copy of the movie on beta and just, yeah, it transferred that onto the DVD. And because of that, we got a lot of very bad releases. We got Mad Dog Morgan and pigs, and movies that uh, that was like the TV edit something. So uh, they could be that trauma somewhere owns like a 35 millimeter widescreen version of it, but just can't find it. Uh, or so they, they don't just- even know they have it. <laughs> yeah, that could be it. So, I mean, that's what they did with Mad Dog Morgan. And people were like complaining, like, well, you, it's missing all the scenes. They're like, man, we don't have a better version of it. Which is really funny that if you own a movie and the best version you have, is like a the TV edit, edit it it down, <laughs>
1: canon scan, you know, especially for that movie. I'm going to talk about that movie on a episode because it's it's a classic for sure. But uh,
2: so the plot of good thing about the the what's that? Uh, I said, the good thing about the Pan and Scan with Skeleton Coast is it doesn't look like it's been edited down. It doesn't look like, you know, scenes have been edited out of the movie, unlike some of the other DVD transfers yeah. at the time. The the uh, movie as a narrative and it makes sense. And, uh, you know, not being in widescreen doesn't bother me that much. And again, like you said, I think this is the only version of it, because I know they, some of the movies they released, that gave like a third party. Like a lot of the David Hevner movies that they sort of produced and distributed they would not release them directly as trauma movies. They would like give the, you know, to like English distributors and Asian yeah. distributors. Like a lot of the movies they made or produced or, or got the rights to, they would not necessarily distribute them as a trauma T-movie. But I don't think, I have not seen Skeleton Coast. I, I own it on VHS and I own it on DVD. And I think Orion and I actually, I heard there was a laser disc out there, but I have not seen any evidence of that. And if, oh, maybe we should find that and force Troma to do a Troma Masterpiece release of, of this movie deserves to be on the trail
1: masterpiece label like 100 percent. it is bonkers so it's about uh this young CIA agent in the jungles of Nambia and yeah. he's talking to um just like these rebels as CIA agents in the 80s often did was talk to these rebel forces to give them dirty money to you know, overthrow governments. So, so still it, presented as the good guy. He's like, oh, he's the good guy. He's there to save the right? world. Right. <laughs> and, and in true trauma fashion, ripped from today's headlines. It's like, yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but obviously, the those uh, forces they don't they don't like that. So they kidnap they kidnap the the young CIA agent. And that's where our hero Ernest nine comes in because
2: that he's CIA agent. <laughs> what's that? <Okay. laughs> and he's and he's wearing this really nice white suit and yes. he like and he plays like this sort of uh power broker almost he's like the guy you call if you need help he's well like, it's
1: uh, it's funny cuz his name is Colonel Smith yeah which is just like in the A team is like Colonel Hannibal Smith and i oh. almost wonder if there's like some sort of subconscious or even not that subconscious considering when this was made like Like, they're like, we kind of need to rip off the A-Team a little
3: bit in this
1: movie. (laughs) Like, the score in this movie just is very synth-heavy 80s action score. But it also sounds like it's lifted from
2: A-Team episodes. (laughs) I love the music in this. It's one of the best things about it. Like you said, the synth is bonkers it's it's crazy and every have, every
1: every song is a great <laughs> and they have all sorts of really good just like keyboard stingers like when somebody says something dramatic are like really goofy like here's the dumb guy music <laughs>
2: like <laughs> happens like throughout the whole time uh, and i love the scene when they go uh when ernest borgen is recruiting people because as you said the story as it happens it, it, the guy, the CIA guy was Ernest Borgnine's son. Yes. So uh, he, now he has to sort of create this sort of mercenary team to go and, and locate his son. And there's a nice scene when he meets the, uh, who is really sort of the lead guy, uh, yeah. I forgot his name, and he meets him in the bar and you sort of hear like the composer doing like bar music, but it's the exact same sort of keyboard he's been playing throughout the entire movie. <laughs> but he's still like, oh, it's like the bar scene. So he does like a more, of a, <laughs> a
3: little bit different.
2: And
1: then he so Ernest Ward9 gets uh funding from, from this one guy, Ella, and um his like girlfriend or wife Opal, which I have to mention because that's my daughter's name, and I never hear oh, the name nice. Opal in anything. So my I was watching this with my wife and she's like, Did you name our daughter after a character <laughs> in Skeleton <laughs> Coast? And I was like, I didn't even think about that, but I kind of maybe want to say yes now. <laughs> it
2: could have happened subconsciously. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> so um so they uh so he gets this financing from this shady guy and he meets meets up uh with this muscly dude and he's just like muscle bound in a bar and he's like you better know and then Ernest Borgnine, like he's kind of phoning it in in the movie, he's playing himself, like, this kind of happy-go-lucky Ernest Borden. Like, he doesn't get, like, super pissed at anybody, or worried. It's just he feels a lot like Mikhail, I want to say, yeah. <laughs> if but I think son was kidnapped. Very,
2: but I think he's very sincere, too. Like, you know, I believe him in the, in the role, almost, you know? No, like, yeah, this, it's he, true. It's very, like, subtle these moments, like, when there's a moment when the... Um, a child runs up to him with a note telling him, do not go into your hotel room. And uh, the big muscly guy was like, obviously like the Chuck Norris Rambo stand-in. He's like, be that guy in the movie. And and he's like, oh, I guess I have to go here. And he tells him, do you want me to come with you? And you can see like (laughs) Ernest Borgnine's character, he like thinks for a while, he's like, no, no. And he can see like, yeah, you do this and I'll do this. And like you said, it's not like, it's not emotional. But it, it feels like he's like this sort of grumpy, Colonel, and he's sort of like he's done this so many times that he doesn't have to worry. <laughs>
1: like, like uh, I've already like after you get that line in every action movie, like I'm too old for this. And one day from retirement, this is yeah. like after all that. He's like, I'm already <laughs> fucking retired. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't need to go into that. Um, <laughs> it, and then the introduction. So like they go to they go to Nambia and. They hop into a dune buggy with a machine gun that's like mounted to the roof. And we're about to meet the mercenaries, which is probably my second favorite scene in the movie. My first yeah. is coming up in a bit. But the introduction of this gang is exactly what you want. So you like pull up and you see this woman taking a shower with a watering can in the middle of the desert. <laughs> and you're like, just going down the the list, like in every... You know, every like, let's meet the gang member scene. So we got the our... explosive expert, then you have the uh, knife expert. Yeah, so in the knife expert, his name is Blade. <laughs> so, just like what you'd yes. want. <laughs> um, you got Chuck, who's a first class bastard. You got the Asian guy, who's, of course, former Yakuza, and he's using nunchucks. And then you have um, Armando. So the guy who did the coup, I was like, I watched the movie twice. I was like, I don't remember this Armando character. And he's only in two scenes of this movie. He's in this scene. He's the first person introduced. here. like, it's Armando. And then, by the way, here's the lady taking a shower. She's one of them. And then the last guy we get to is Robbins. Who's like, so you see the guy using nunchucks. You see the topless lady. You see the the wet knife expert, Chuck, who's a first class bastard with the machine gun. And then Robin, who's an old shirtless British man. So it's like everybody you would want for your (laughs) gang.
2: Exactly. This is like the, this is cliche uh, to death. This almost feels like you're watching a movie from 2016, pretending to be an eighties movie.
1: Yes. (laughs) And And that's
2: why I love it. It's like, it's so good. Like you said, they have the jacuzza. And of course, Blades is played by Arnold Waslow who later, of course, became a big star in the Mummy movies. He plays the Mummy in those movies.
3: Oh, awesome. So, and, that, it.
2: <laughs> and they, of course, trauma did not advertise that at all. So it's like when you're watching it the first time, cause I was like, whoa, is that the Mummy? <laughs> That's awesome.
1: <laughs> and it's funny, like that scene, like if you said like if it was made in 2016, you'd be like, ah, eh, they're just doing this old hat thing, but they're so sincere on yeah. this is how we're exactly. gonna, this is how we're <laughs> introducing these bastards. They're so, um,
2: really proud of themselves. This movie,
1: yeah. So we meet them, and then it cuts to uh, Opal talking to Oliver Reed, who's um, hand who's having his guards handcuff this man to a pickup truck, um, yeah. who's that's like in the surf as the surf is rolling in. This is probably my favorite scene in the movie mm. because you could tell, like, they have this dude strapped to this truck, and the surf is going extra crazy that day like it seems like a storm probably's rolling in because you can see every wave hitting that dude against the pickup truck and he is getting his shit rocked every single time and like it's like is that truck gonna flip it doesn't look safe like no. it's like is that truck gonna flip over on him like they like there's he is legit handcuffed to it and then you know you find out that this guy is a diamond smuggler and the captain who's talking to, to Opal's like, oh yeah, we, we know he's smuggling diamonds and and I'm pissed because he put him in a dog and I'm going to kill him because he made me kill that dog and I love animals. <laughs> and it's like, what a weird monologue, which is also the plot for John Wick. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Could have been inspired, but I and I love Oliver Reed in this too. Like he is really hamming it up. He's a beautiful villain. And,
1: he's you know. he's like only in two scenes in this movie, but he yeah. is wonderful in those two scenes. <laughs> and it just sucks. Like I wish like his lines are super funny in that scene, but for whatever reason they they decided they weren't gonna ADR the scene, so yeah. the sound I because I wanted to play that clip of of him talking about it, but the audio is so terrible from the waves just smashing the dude against the truck. It's so hard to
2: hear. What probably happened is they had only Oliver Reed for like a day. And of course, when they're doing post-production, it's like, well, we can't just call him up and ask him to <laughs> record, record his <laughs> ride. Kindly go fuck yourselves, I'm pretty sure.
1: <laughs> so. Because uh, he probably wasn't cheap for those two days either. He probably- That's probably why they did not have him interact with any other character <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> um, so then, yeah, we we cut back and um, to to Colonel Smith and all of his crew, and they they're like, "All right, we're going to go sneak up to this place," and they hop in four of the loudest jeeps that the Skeleton Coast has <laughs> to offer. And they go off on their midnight <laughs> ride, only stopping once for, for late night coffee and sandwiches. <laughs> and and then then we that's when we finally see the bad guy of the movie, uh, Robert Vaughn, like in his yeah. huge fortress. And he's like kind of like an end bison evil general of, exactly. of like this force. And he's he's uh, interrogating Colonel Smith's son. And you see him you know just going back and forth with him all the time giving him an ultimatum like you better tell
2: me what you want or i'm gonna keep torturing you basically and they keep cutting back and forth to it but again you can assume robert Vaughn probably only showed up for a day as well
1: i think two days because they (laughs) also had or a scene with ernest borden he was definitely there for two days at least so he could get that shot
2: um So So that's the great thing about these types of movies. People go like, oh yeah, I'll do your movie for, how much money is it? 20,000? Yeah, I'll do it. I'll show up for a day, maybe two. It's like, all right, we got him. We have. (laughs) It's like a fun puzzle. You have to figure out how to shoot around
1: an actor not being there.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, And that's another good thing too, is because you expect that in these movies, but Ernest Borgnine, he does not do that. He's legit star of this movie. (laughs) <laughs> he is the lead character and he's in the shit he is in the desert with all the other mercenaries he could have phoned it in he could have just stayed at home like i'll i'll do a scene where i'm at a desk and i keep calling them to ask them what's going on but no he is there yeah
3: he...
2: <laughs> and how old is he at the time like 60 70 maybe like this is crazy <laughs> and, he, and like we said a little
1: earlier it looks hot as fuck in that desert yeah. and i'm just picturing like the like you got this old man who's not in the best shape of his life anymore no. <laughs> running on these sand dunes, probably in like a hundred degree weather. It, it looked miserable to film just for how hot and sandy it was. But it also looks great. Like the vistas, yeah. like it's beautiful. a beautiful location.
2: Yeah. And not many, I mean, and I, I don't know, of course a couple other movies were shot there, but I know Mad Max 4, uh, Fury Road, they filmed there. So, obviously, uh, George Miller and others are like, oh, you know, this is beautiful. This is the place to shoot. And I, I'm, I don't remember. I mean, that's the only movie I know that's actually called Skeleton Coast. Of yeah. course, Laser Mission is filmed there as well. But again, it's like they really utilized the location. And I feel like it's something that, like, uh, well, maybe this is something that, like you said, it's ripped from the headlines. Maybe they really wanted to do a movie about, you know, what's going on in Africa. But to me, it feels like, oh, I know a guy who lives there and we can film for cheap. Mm-hmm. You get these guys, it sort of like fell, I, I assume it sort of fell up into like, oh, we can do this and this and this. And if we do it over here, it's cheap. Yeah. But then really utilize the story is really well written. Like you said, it's, it has a lot of social commentary about things that are actually happening. And but very similar to what James Cameron did with the Rambo movies and the Canon did with the Michigan action movies. Obviously this sort of uh, create this uh, narrative that uh, foreign interference is okay. It was, it was a very conservative viewpoint at the time. But I don't view that as necessarily, you know, it's. I don't think it's pro-U.S. propaganda in the same way one can argue that... Like uh, Rambo
1: is. <laughs> yeah,
2: because in that movie, it's sort of like, oh, you know, Rambo can do no wrong. But in this one, it's sort of... Because they don't really focus too much on Ernest Borgnon's CIA son, necessarily. The movie is more about a father trying to get his son, which, again, is sort of the plot... There's a movie, I forgot the name of it, but there is literally a movie, So Valor? It's a movie about a dad who gets a mercenary team to go to Vietnam to find his missing son. So they could have been inspired by that. But I do like these sort of movies where, you know, you're going in to get someone. And obviously that was popular enough that they were like, oh, let's just make our own and we can do it in
1: Africa." Yeah, they got a tank for the movie and they have this tank blowing up all the like all these forces trucks like all the mercenaries yeah. trucks which you know it's like that's production value. I want like I want to shoot a scene in a movie with a tank. Like that yeah. just seems like it would be fun. And they they have this thing blowing everybody up and it's the the only other time you see Armando in this movie is when he dies in this scene, <laughs> and you don't even see him die. They just say Armando died. So <laughs> who knows? But Chuck, the badass, he gets caught on fire. There's a few people who get caught on fire. Yeah, in this movie, and so and you know from Return to Newcom High, um, you see yourself itching as a man on fire runs down the steps. That's not like an easy flippant stunt to do like that's probably one of the most dangerous stunts in in like any type of filming Um, i learned
2: a lot from working on return to High*. stuff that you know when after you hear it you go like oh actually that doesn't make sense i can't believe i didn't know that before but like one thing you can't do while you're doing a full body burn is you can't breathe you have to like hold your breath the entire time because if you breathe you just get fumes toxic fumes and you die so it, it becomes very impressive, especially when you watch these 80s movies about, because you see these guys flailing around for what looks like almost an eternity. So you're like, ooh, you like, you know they have to hold their breath in. So it's really amazing. And yeah, when, I, when they did the fire stunt, I'm sitting there a couple of feet away, but I felt like I was on fire because it's so hot. So, you know, it, just imagining shooting in the desert, like it doesn't matter if you're not on fire, you're still gonna feel the burn. So
3: yeah.
2: it's amazing that they did that. And they, like you said, it happens very early on. They go on the mission. And it's also, uh, it's almost, the writing is good because this is something Chekhov brought up. You know, Anton Chekhov, of course, brought up the famous uh, Chekhov's gun, which is something people talk about. You learn it in film school. It's like, if if you mention a gun in the first act, make sure you use it in the third act. Yes. And in the first act of the movie, uh, the, the Rambo guy, I forgot his name, he's Chuck, he tells Ernest Borgnine, uh, we should have four cars. We should have four cars. Like, what? Well, we're only eight people. It's like, yeah, but if one of them blows up, you know. <laughs> so they, they say very early on, they, they basically say like, yeah, a couple of cars are going to blow up in this movie. Don't worry about
1: it. And, and a little earlier on, too, when they're like going through the desert, they're like, uh, look at an airplane. All right, let's keep going. So, so now that all their trucks are blown up, in uh, Armando's Dead, they have to go off on foot and they're like, hey, remember that airplane that we just saw in the middle of the desert? And so then they they go to do a remake of uh, Flight of the Phoenix where they're like, yeah. let's go resurrect this airplane that's in the middle of the desert, only to find out that it's uh, being ran by this, like, diamond smuggler cartel. And the the interaction between Ernest Bordnight and like the lead guy of the diamond smugglers is pretty funny. Like those yeah. two, those two guys together have probably some of the best chemistry
2: back and forth in the entire film. So, yeah, you have uh, and the diamond smuggling is, of course, another issue that's ripped straight from the headlines. This was a, a, a problem still, I think, going on. I mean, they did did another movie on it with Leonardo DiCaprio. Was it Blood Diamonds or something? Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio. And you might remember Leonardo DiCaprio,
1: he played the penis monster in Tromeo and Juliet. Exactly, yeah. So there's a connection there. Which is kind of funny to think about, like, in this era, it felt a little dangerous, I like, to make a. A big kind of part of the story about diamond smuggling in Africa, like it seemed yeah. like like something that they shouldn't be filming. Like, oh, for sure, yeah.
2: Because it, it doesn't feel like because trauma has, of course, the r- rules of production. One being safety to humans, and this does not feel safe at all. It's this and a uh, shark with uh, Burt Reynolds. They're both like you can tell they're not chrome productions <laughs> there's only one shark movie and that is jaws spielberg, spielberg. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they uh end up killing all these diamond smugglers and taking off in this airplane thank god the like one of the guys knows how to fly this random airplane that's in the middle of the desert um and so they find find in the plane like this tiny bag of diamonds and they all split them up in between themselves. And and then you see the Rebels pop out and one of them has a legit rocket launcher that they fire at the airplane. <laughs> like that took me by surprise when I was watching it. You know, gunfire is one thing to kind of fake in there, but they had a rocket launcher. <laughs> yeah. And you see the rocket like propel from the... <laughs> from the thing maybe it, ex-Nambian army
2: surplus or something <laughs> for sure yeah and you've and you've heard it before is like in movies like this a lot of the guns are real and sometimes they have fire blanks and sometimes they just fire real bullets when they're not like aiming at people in particular and because they are filming in Africa you know it's the height of apartheid and you know you have all these sort of like you said you have coups you have rebels you have diamond smugglers so um I, it doesn't surprise me if they were just like at some point firing real bullets as well. The guy who had the tank was like, I have a rocket launcher. Do you want that in the movie? And they're like,
1: yeah. <laughs> I assume that's probably what <laughs> They're like, well, might as well. I know if if I was filming a movie and someone's like, oh, you want to use my tank? How about my rocket launcher? I'd be like, I think we could work that into the script, I'm exactly. sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they shoot down this uh, this plane, and then it, the rebels, you know, realize that they aren't the diamond smugglers, uh, and that you know they have very similar similar goals into taking down Robert Vaughn's fortress on there. But they do want some of these diamonds that are on the plane uh, just to buy more ammunition for the for the troops. So that's kind of like the one tie in with with Ernest Borgnine's character and his son, of uh, yeah. you know, given the the Rebels'
2: money. Well, I was just gonna say, of, then of course, they, when I was gonna say one of my one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is one of the reasons why I think uh, Borgnine was, you know, doing a good job, I think is a really good actor. And, and even when you're phoning it in, you, you just can't, you don't stop being a good actor. Yeah. And there's this wonderful scene when they finally reach the compound and he rescues his son. And I think that's a really, Beautiful dramatic scene because his son has been tortured. Well, there's two, there's two there's two scenes.
1: So the first part when um, before you see the son, when you see Ernest Bordenine realize that he found his son in there, and he, yeah. you just see him like kind of start to weep like at the prison window, like like you're like it's very fuck. beautiful. Yeah, you're like fuck yeah, he, yeah he did it, and then and then the scene you're talking about
2: where like he, when he enters in. And the camera sort of pans over and you see his son is laying on the floor and he's completely naked. And Ernest just like comes to him and sort of like coddles him. And it's like, it's a really powerful scene of like father and son reuniting. And you, I, I at least really feel it when I watch the movie. It's like, it feels it's, like,
1: he's like, hey buddy, it's your dad here. Like it doesn't, it's like, we're here to break you out. Like, no, it feels like a good father son moment.
2: Yeah, it's not like, exactly. It's not like in the other, like if you think of uh rambo or missing in action you know there's no there's no reason why there's no connection between the people they're rescuing and the whole both those movies do like hey we're here and everybody just pulls up a gun and starts firing yeah. But because they have this sort of family connection it you know it becomes this somber and beautiful moment and i almost feel like what we need is uh you know the title for your consideration yeah. <laughs> yeah, like he doesn't, yeah, he does a really good job like making me believe like, oh, this is your son and, and you're really happy but also sad to find him in this sort of condition, in this state. Yeah,
1: and so they all kind of break everybody out uh, from from this thing and then we find out why Sam was part of the team, the the actress taking the shower because I think it was in Robert Vaughn's contract that he has to rip open some lady's shirt. <laughs> <laughs> like it's kind of funny. You see the whole rest of the team and they're like all badasses and for whatever reason they do not give her anything to do other than in the scene they're like you're going to get kidnapped and Robert Vaughn is going to
2: rip your shirt open and then you're going to go hide. <laughs> yeah. But and it's sort of it's sort of like this trope that you, you don't see in, in movies today anymore because of sort of like this resurgence almost of women's lib. But I know they did it in Mortal Kombat in 95 where like Sonya Blade, who's like this fighter, she's there to fight. But then she sort of becomes this damsel in distress in the third act. So I, I, I wouldn't say Skeleton Coast probably didn't originate it. But I, I don't know many movies that do it, but it's a nice sort of trope. That sort of disappeared, obviously, because of uh, people think it's sexist today. Yeah, but it's an interesting thing where you're sort of like, oh, we have this badass female, but she's really here only to get kidnapped and <laughs> get her clothes ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: and so, and this is like, yeah, one of the few scenes where Ernest Borgnine and and Robert Vaughn are together, and you, and really the only scene in the movie why you see why. Why he hired this group of mercenaries in the first place? You see the Asian guy doing karate kicks, and yeah. you see blade slash people with knives and throw knives at him. You see the badass shooting at people with guns. You see the old British guy just being British and fighting people. So
2: <laughs> everybody does their own thing, and yeah, and they just kill those unnamed sort of henchmen. And it's beautiful. It's a great like third act. It's a and good it's closure a for the movie. Fun
1: action scene too, like. Like, that's one thing, you know, everyone should definitely get from this. Like, the action scenes in this, like, the little money they had uh, left over from getting Ernest Ward 9 and the stars (laughs) in the movie was used for explosions in this movie. Because they're insane. Like, this, like, when they take over the fortress, it reminds me of Troma's War a little bit, where they, like... You see the explosions and people jumping from high towers and they shot it from thirty cameras and you're gonna see every angle they shot of these people jumping because it looks awesome
2: <laughs> yeah this movie has a very much of a trauma's war feel so if anyone listening if you like trauma's war it one hundred percent check out skeleton coast it's almost like a spiritual sequel to it
3: yeah Films,
2: filmed and released in the same year too so less fart jokes as the trauma's war but For sure. But the the production (laughs) values on like the stunts and the guns It sort of has like the same feel where you you can tell it's not like a big budget movie, but they're really utilizing what they have and they're doing a really good job at it. Yeah. Like high production value considering how much money they probably didn't have.
1: Exactly. And then, and then the, the movie, you know, every, the good guys win, and you see him leave in a Rolls Royce that was just like hidden in
2: some bushes. <laughs> and the ending is definitely one of my favorite parts because that's when they realize, Ernest Borgnine, I think, he finds a bunch of diamonds and he's like, well, I guess we have to give these back to the villagers. And then they sort of look at each other and go like, nah. And then they, <laughs> they
1: throw, throw it up. like a billion dollars worth of diamonds in the air and then it freeze frames with like, do 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 like
2: <laughs> and that's just the end swing.
1: and then then the movie's over
2: <laughs> the, the movie movie ends with like your are the good guys of the movie stealing from an impoverished <laughs> nation <laughs> and being <laughs> proud of themselves <laughs>
1: like like it's like you know these rebels could certainly use like this billions of dollars of diamonds to help get their new government off it's like yeah, fuck him. They gave us this Rolls Royce and all these stuff.
2: <laughs> That's something like if this had been made in Hollywood, especially today, or even in the '90s, I I doubt because of course the uh, and even in the if you look even in the '50s, you know, there was always this sort of thing like, oh no, the good guys are good guys, the bad guys are bad guys. So you would never have a scene of the good guys going away with billions of dollars and dying.
1: <laughs> well, that's something that's kind of fun, is they like they there is a line in the movie where they're like like the good guys are winning and then they basically look at the camera like and we're the good guys. <laughs> like they they kind of <laughs> remind you, it's like they are the good guys, like they're they're not great people, but like oh. they are definitely all likable.
2: <laughs> For sure, yeah.
1: So any uh, final thoughts on Skeleton Coast before you go to the double feature
2: part? Um, just that, you know, it's it's a really underrated gem. And I really love the fact that Troma released it on DVD, especially even in 2005 when they were sort of dumping these movies out because as we've talked, I mean, I don't think it ever got a proper release outside of a VHS release in 89. And I guess a Laserdisc release somewhere. So yeah, it I'm was sure. really a movie that was sort of, forgotten about and and it really shouldn't have i mean there's no i i understand especially in the 80s because you had so many movies both the a-list movies like robocop and Die Hard, and then you had the b movies that were you know also still really good and then of course you had like the thousands of c movies so of course you know you can't be able to watch all of them but this is something that never really should have disappeared you know it's and especially because ernest borgnine again i think is a great actor i loved him in marty i loved him in so many movies but after he did the wild bunch he sort of said to himself i don't want to do violent action movies anymore but and he always hated swearing like he there's an interview with him where he says uh he hated seeing gone with the wind in theaters because they say frankly my dear i don't give a damn he was like oh here we go and he said like ever since then you've had to have swearing in a movie that's funny one up
1: I didn't know that cuz there is like a scene when he gets pissed and he yells suffering succotash. <laughs> like <laughs> like jump to jopoza fat.
2: But maybe in the script that was like "motherfucker" and he's just like nah, I'm not. I'll shoot I'll shoot an M60 for you," but I won't swear. He does say hell a couple of times in the movie. And but bastard. it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. But it's still interesting because, you know, this was sort of not what Ernest Borgnine really wanted to do per se, but you know, to take a, maybe he just wanted to do it because they offered him the lead and he really wasn't being offered a lead role at the time in, you know, in the 80s a lot. Yeah. But he, despite sort of, you know, not wanting to do these sort of movies anymore, he does a really, I mean, he really is an action star, I'd say, you know, you have, of course, movies like The Wild Bunch, but I, he, I mean, he is sort of very much an old Rambo in this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, I mean, so it's yeah, everyone should see it for sure. At least once. If you like 80s action movies, if you like Slocky movies, if you like explosions, if you like Ernest Borgman, even the little bit. You should percent check this movie out.
1: I I would hope that one of like the these like retro uh boutique Blu-ray labels would would think about this movie like maybe like a severin or something like that. A code red, yeah. Uh to pick this one up and just, you know, clean it up and like find some of these actors if they're still around to talk about this movie like there's interesting stories about making this movie that no one has heard that definitely need to get told so but check out the movie it's there's a dvd it's i think it's out of print but you can still find them on ebay every once in a while it's on trauma now so watch.troma.com you can watch it on there
2: all right. And for years it was for free on YouTube too. I don't think it is anymore, but trauma now. Yeah. It's only five ninety nine a month. First month free. They yeah. should, they should, uh, give us a free month for,
1: for plugging okay. <laughs> them. That'll never happen. <laughs> All right. So it's uh, skeleton coast night at Bjarne's movie theater. What is yeah. the other movie that you picked for this double
2: feature? The other movie I picked is the movie that I felt uh, this movie was emulating a lot, even though I don't think it was on purpose, and that is The Dirty Dozen.
0: Major Reisman, you are ordered by allied command to select 12 general prisoners convicted by courts martial and sentenced to be executed or serve lengthy prison terms for murder, rape, robbery, and other crimes of violence and you will deliver them secretly behind enemy lines in france to undertake a mission of sabotage that could change the course of the war the 12 men will be known as the dirty dozen lee marvin as major john reisman there's a little of major reisman in every man says marvin tough and unyielding yet compassionate I think it's the best role I've ever been asked to play. You've all volunteered for a mission which gives you just three ways to go. Either you can follow up in training and be shipped back here for immediate execution of sentence, or you can follow up in combat, in which case I will personally blow your brains out, or you can do as you're told, in which case you might just get by. Now, you hold it right there. This war was not started for your private gratification, and you can be damn sure that this army isn't being run for your personal convenience either. Ernest Borgnine as General Warden. I'm tired of seeing generals portrayed as desk-bound pen-pushers, says Borgnine. So I've played Warden as a rough professional soldier. Robert Ryan as Colonel Everett Dasher Breed. There were officers like Breed, says Ryan, who could never suffer the rules broken or even bend a little. Major Reisman's compliments, sir. Would you prefer to be captured or destroyed? Jimmy Brown as Napoleon Jefferson. Jefferson is any man fighting for recognition against the odds, says Brown. I think I understand him pretty well. The hell is this? John Casavetes as Victor Franco. Says Casavetes. Franco is a petty hoodlum forced to heroism by circumstances beyond his control. We go on that mission, we all get killed. That's what they want. That's what they want. Trini Lopez as Jimenez. He's crawling with hate. Charles Bronson as Vladislaw The last guy in the world you'd expect to be a hero. <laughs> Telly Savalas as Archer Maggot. Maggot is a maniac, says Savalas. His religious fanaticism can never be moderated or quelled. It is a constant danger. <laughs> Clint Walker as Samson Posey. <laughs> An Indian with war paint smeared on his soul.
3: PUSH out
0: Train them. Excite them. Arm them. And turn them loose on the Nazi High Command.
2: Dirty Dozen is, of course, a classic 1967 action feature. Uh, it's set in World War II. It's about, uh, based on a real story about people that sort of were sent to uh, either get hanged or long prison uh, sentences for different things. Some of them were murder, rape, uh, leaving the army. And Lee Marvin is sort of tasked to take these 13 individuals, turn them into uh, you know, a fighting force and then literally send them to their deaths. Like they have the suicide mission and they need someone to do it. So they're going to send like the worst soldiers they have and he has to train them. And it's a really good movie because it's like three hours long. And like the first half is just them training. And then you like really get to know the characters and as a giant good cast, you have Charles Bronson, you have Clint Walker, you have all these guys, Trini Lopez and, You really get to know them and uh, develop the characters. And then suddenly you realize, oh, shit, they're all going to go on a suicide mission. And then very similar to actually um, the guy who did the coup in this one, who sort of disappears, Trini Lopez, he left uh, production of Dirty Dozen. But what we got out of it is when they do the parachute landing, which they've practiced, they go like, hey, where's Trini Lopez's character? And they go like, oh, he he broke his neck on the landing. And that really hits you like, oh, shit. We don't know who's gonna survive. Like, and everyone yeah. can die. And maybe that was a tribute to Dirty Dozen when they did it in Skeleton Coast, or maybe he also just left production or maybe for legal reasons. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's a nice like way to do it. Like, and of course, Ernest Borgnine is also in the Dirty Dozen. He plays like the the general in that. And of course, he doesn't go actually in the war, but he he's a, a major role in that. So it's a nice Ernest Borgnine double feature about mercenaries you know, getting killed.
1: So here's some other trauma connections I found with the Dirty Dozen. Jim Brown, he's in the movie. Yeah. He's also in the trauma movie Twisted Justice, who had the same producer as Skeleton Coast.
3: Yeah, so, so there's
2: a. the producer might have been a big fan of the Dirty Dozen.
1: It, it, it kind of all kind of makes sense, like, where all this could have come from. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, so and I was really digging through the cast on this. So here's a bunch of uncredited actors in Dirty dozen who were also in trauma movies, Jeremy right. Wilkin. He was uncredited as the commander at post. He's in the trauma movie bag. Um, nice. Richard Marner, he's an uncredited German sentry. He's in the movie last horror film. Nice. Um, and Alan, and here's one of the cool ones, the coolest ones, Alan Harris He's an uncredited soldier, and he's in squeeze play. <laughs> Hi! <laughs> so, so it's funny to think about that. <laughs> Someone a lot ins-
2: of dozen connections, that's great. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so for my double feature, I thought I would make it a John Bud Cardos night, and I'm going nice. to go 1977, Kingdom of the Spiders.
0: An unknown species of horror is born. As science fiction becomes... Science fact. If you find any problems out there at the Colby place, just keep it to yourself. He's
3: ah! 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 at Colby's. He's found another 20 or 30 hills just like the one we burned.
0: I mean, this right here is scientific phenomenon. As you know, all species of megalomorphs are cannibalistic. If you put them together, they'll kill each other off. They just don't colonize like ants or bees do. An army of deadly predators, searching, destroying anything in their path. Why did they come? What do they want? In the tradition of the great science fiction thrillers, Dimension Pictures presents Kingdom of the Spiders, starring William Shatner, Tiffany Pauling, Woody Strode, and introducing AlkaVise Davis. The spiders in this area have organized themselves into an aggressive army. I've never seen anything like it. One minute they weren't
2: there, the next minute they were everywhere. Jump,
3: a girl! Listen, there's thousands of them out there. We'll never make it. Why haven't we heard from the sheriff? He must know we're
0: trapped in here. I'm telling you, I don't think we should chance it. Your nightmares will never be the same. Kingdom of the Spiders, the next victim could be you. So like Let's this movie, it. It, that
1: movie's awesome. I, I never watched it before. It feels like a Corman movie, but it also reminds me a lot of, of Trauma, where they bring a lot of the environmental pollution politics into, into a movie. So basically, William Shatner's this vet in the town and uh and this guy's cow dies from all these spider bites but William Shatner he's like I've never seen a spider attack a cow and so he brings in a, a scientist in, who's who's a lady scientist and Shatner just has the hots for for the whole movie <laughs> and uh, he's like all right lady scientist tell me how a spider could have could have killed this cow and then all these other animals start showing up dead in this town. And it turns out all the DDT that they're using for the crops to kill all these bugs are killing the spiders' food sources. So the spiders just start multiplying and taking over the town. They're killing all these bigger animals um, just because of, you know, they have nothing to eat. Where, then they're starting to turn on the people in the yeah. town
2: and they use giant spiders or or just small regular ones
1: they use real tarantulas for the so it's like legit spiders in this movie and they have thousands of tarantulas just crawling over people which is nuts and it's kind of fun so that like the similarities between like this and uh skeleton coast are the way it's shot like it's filmed in arizona it's supposed to be texas but texas arizona and just the sweeping vistas of both of these movies um uh, you can tell that it probably comes from when he was a cowboy stuntman and he and he probably loved uh john ford movies just you could kind of tell from the way they're shot that, that was probably a big influence and the action of both of these movies there's not as many stunts and crazy scenes in this but the stunts and crazy scenes are shot multiple cameras you know he knows how to get his action which obviously comes yeah. from his stuntman training um and then Ernest board and william shatner just feel like like they're the cowboy who rode into town who you can't tell them how to do their mission like they know yeah. what's going on even though william shatner is like a like a vet who's who's there um I think riff tracks did something which is you know kind of a disservice a little bit to kingdom of spiders because it's actually a really good movie yeah. um, it's it was I was expecting it to be you know a, a fun bad sci-fi movie but it was like I had a good time with the entire entire thing uh, a couple of trauma connections I found with that so the writer Alan Caillou he acted in the trauma movie beyond evil and then oh, nice. when, one of the actors in this, Ho Cowell, he, he acted in a few trauma movies. Uh, the Media Madman, Merchants of Death, and Wizards of the
2: Demon Sword. So Oh. So, so. And of course, Wizards of the Demon Sword also has a connection through Al Adamson because Russ Tamblin is in that. And he was in a lot of the Al Adamson movies. He was in Satan Sadist and uh, Angel's Wild, Wild yeah, <laughs> It all comes back around. So. He's also in Dracula versus Frankenstein, when I think about it, because originally Dracula versus Frankenstein was this when they started filming that it was supposed to be a sequel to Satan Sadists. And then uh, they stopped making it and they realized like, oh, we, we got to make something with all this footage. And I was like, well, what can we do? And then they decided to make a monster <laughs> movie. And then they filmed that as a monster movie. And then after they would filmed uh, taken this bicycle movie, they had motorcycle movie and they added all these monsters. Only after that was done did they decide, let's put Dracula and Frankenstein in there.
3: <laughs> I,
1: I want to try to collect all those Troma Al Edmondson movies now that Severin put out that box set. I have a couple of them, but they're, uh, they're out of print. So <laughs> like, the price on those yeah. is kind of nuts. But they've, I've noticed the price has gone down a little bit because everyone's buying these Blu-ray sets and probably selling their old ones off.
2: <laughs> so you think um, the transfers are better on the new ones?
1: Oh yeah, they transferred from the negatives. The set definitely seems like it's worth getting and There's like a documentary about Al Adminson. but they don't have the Radiation March on any of those Blu-rays. <laughs> so, <laughs> how am I supposed to know that if pollution levels rise, then children won't? <laughs> yeah. um, well, cool. Uh, I think that about wraps it up. On this episode, yeah. where can people follow you on the socials, and what should they be looking out next from you?
2: Um, I I have an Instagram. It's Bjarni I'm on Twitter as Bjarni You don't have to follow me anywhere. I'm, I don't really post anything interesting. I used to have an active Facebook page, but it got deleted. Again, that would have been like yeah, <laughs> that would have been like the main thing where I tell people to follow me because that's where I shared everything. But yeah, I mean, I'm on Instagram. I'm, I'm on Twitter. And uh, then the current things I'm doing is I'm editing uh, the behind the scenes for Shakespeare Shitstorm. It's called Brown is the Warmest Color. Uh, it might uh, premiere that they, they talked about maybe doing double features with Shitstorm when they do festival circuits again. Uh, but it will at least be on the Blu-ray. And I'm really proud of that. I've uh, done a couple of I worked on two girls one duck and i've done i did a vanilla ice documentary that's available on youtube if you guys want to check it out it's called vanilla ice archive but yeah so i'm really proud of uh brownish the warmest color it uh came out really good i'm still trying to editing it down it's currently two hours which i think is fine apocalypse tune was two hours as well yeah but the thing is it's okay two hours is okay as long as it, nobody gets bored yeah so i just want to make sure that it's as entertaining as possible
1: that's a pretty tough legacy to live up to because those trauma documentaries are fantastic.
2: yeah so it's it's uh, a great honor to have gone from a trauma fan, especially of the trauma documentaries. I mean the, those were so good. and then you know I, I don't I don't know many people that have lived their dreams, but I certainly have. so I can die a happy man. As, as soon as I get this documentary out, I don't, I knock on wood. Yeah. For the
1: love of God, don't die before that <laughs>
2: documentary is done. I'll be kind of pissed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But after that, I mean, who knows?
1: <laughs> Sounds good. Well, and as for me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Lego Larry. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Talking And as always stay traumatized. Roma. Trauma.